First Peter, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 1. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. These words immediately bring back to mind a concern that I have wrestled with often over these past many years, and especially as I've been involved in ministry, and even more especially so as I have lived and worked in amongst dear and earnest and often passionate fellow believers. The concern is that as I observe myself and my fellow participants within this religion of Christianity, I find that more often than not, we are far more caught up in the principles and the ethics and the value systems of Christianity than we are in God Himself and in who He is. And yes, I know that I've brought this point before you before, but I want to do it again because this Christianity that we have ought to be different from all those other religions of the world because most of those prominent religions of this world have some of the very same good principles and ethics and value systems, as does our Christianity. Some of them are even more strict. And because of that, those well-meaning people probably do enjoy a better life than they would have had they not been adhering to all of those ethics and principles and value systems. But those religions, keep in mind, those religions have one major shortcoming. None of them have the one true God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit at the heart of them. They have only ideas and principles and philosophies and systems of ethics and values. And while all those good things, as I said a moment ago, will provide a better life perhaps for them while they are still on this side of eternity, those behaviors will do nothing to save their souls. And as Jesus told one of the teachers of the law, Nicodemus, We all need something more than just a system of good behaviors. We need a Savior, and we need to be born again. Now here in these words of the Apostle Peter, we see that he's addressing men and women of the church. Men and women of the church, those who are saved, who've been born again. Men and women, much like most all those that you and I have lived with and worked with for so many years now, But men and women, listen, who might still be trying to use the old ways of adherence to rules and principles and ethics and value systems as a substitute for a real relationship with the one true God. Do you know anyone who's doing that? Are you doing that? And perhaps don't know that you're doing that? Because listen, folks, relationship with God is the only kind of religion that God will accept. Relationship with Him is the only kind of religion that he will accept. Just because you do a lot of good things, just because you obey a lot of even his own commandments, that will not save you. That's what Jesus said to so many of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus demonstrated that need for relationship for us as he continually 
throughout the Gospels address God the Father as His Father. And because the scribes and the Pharisees knew nothing of that kind of intimate relationship, they immediately objected. They thought, how dare this lowly Galilean be so presumptuous in the way that he addressed God, that he would call God his Father. But Jesus understood the need because he was a true son of his Father, the only begotten Son. But he also wanted to witness his relationship to others, those that would come to him and receive him as Savior and Lord. He wanted them to understand and to want that same intimate relationship for themselves. People like those that Peter was addressing here in these words. People like you and me. Listen to these words. If you address, and he's speaking these words to you and me, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, then conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. So then, may we go back to the basics and ask ourselves, can we, can you and I rightfully address God the Father as God our Father? And under what circumstances are we allowed to do that? When and how does God the Father become your and my Father? And yes, I know that we have learned these very words a long time ago. And we've been over them many times in this church. But though we might even be among the most mature of Christians, we still need to continually remind and rehearse these words to ourselves. Because that's exactly what God is doing here in this passage. Here Peter is addressing mature Christians. He's doing the same thing that I'm doing here today. He's addressing mature Christians, but he's going back over and explaining to them and reminding them of very basic doctrines hear about their being sons of God and what that responsibility as a son requires of them. If you have Christ as your Savior, you are a son of God. Do you know what is required of you this very day, from this very moment forward? Verses 18 and 19 re-explain how we became sons of God. And it's because of the merit, notice here in these words, it's because of the merit of one thing and one thing only, because we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, as we sang in the song a moment ago. Listen to these words, verse 18. We were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from the futile ways of life inherited from our forefathers. Remember, the only thing that we inherit from our fathers is a sin nature. We don't inherit salvation from our fathers and our mothers. We only inherit a sin nature. We were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from the futile ways of life inherited from your forefathers, but with, listen, precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now again, in these words we're being reminded of several things. First, that our redemption, our salvation does not come through the things and the accomplishments that we do in our daily lives. Although we're supposed to do those good things. Those are right and good things to do, but they will not bring us salvation, no matter how well-meaning all those efforts might be. And it's not by silver and gold, those things that we count as important to us as these words say, but it comes only through the gift from God and is purchased with precious blood, verse 19, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And again, yes, we know all these things. You know all these things. But how much do you stop and take it into your heart? 
While we were yet sinners, God loved you and me so much that He reached His big hand into our lives and He drew us and He pulled us and dragged us. I know for myself, dragged me into salvation and into this relationship as a son. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Why did God do that with me? Why did God do that with you? While we were yet sinners, we really did not want Him to do that until He began that special unction that these Scriptures call drawing. No one comes to me except my Father draw them. We started receiving this unction. But before that, we didn't want anything to do with God. So then why would God do that? Now, if we use the rationale of this world, God really has no reason, no reason whatsoever to be so generous to us. Had no reason to save you or me. But God was and always is generous. Generous beyond any manner of understanding that we might have. And listen, it is God's nature to love. It is God's nature to love. He cannot not love. It is His nature to love and to want the very best for those and especially anyone who would turn their hearts to Him. And so because of that great love, because of this great nature of love that was within Him, He did everything that it took to redeem us. Everything. And because God the Father and God the Son are of one mind, Jesus stepped on forward and shed His precious blood to pay our penalty so that all of this could take place. So that you could be sitting here today. So that you could have this assurance of salvation. And the result of it all is that we, that you and I, who surrender our hearts to Christ, are then immediately, immediately adopted as sons of God the Father. There's a sense in which you and I were at that moment freed from bondage to our father of this world. The devil was our father before we came to know Christ. We were freed then from bondage to him and then we became as it were orphans. And that's when God the Father reached in with great compassion and adopted us. Again, I cannot imagine why he did that except for His great love. Listen to this. This is Galatians 4. It explains it for us. Galatians 4, verse 3. We were children held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Bondage under the elemental things of this world. You and I love the things of this world. We love our stuff. We love all the things that we can buy with money. We love all of our ideas and our principles about how everything in our nation should run. And if people would only listen to us, this nation would be run a lot better. Or our families would be run in a lot better fashion. No, no, that's foolishness. Those are the elemental things of this world. That's our ideas and our grand plan. But then he says in verse 4 of Galatians 4, But when the, in the fullness of time came... God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. Do you understand what's taking place? He adopted us, and then He put His Spirit within our hearts, crying, where we would cry out, Abba, Father. And by the way, these words intimate that It is the Holy Spirit within our spirit now that helps us to cry out, Abba, Father. 
So it is actually the voice of the Holy Spirit crying out. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. Now that's whether you be woman or man, you are sons. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. That's very important. Very important that you become an heir to His righteousness. You don't want to be an heir to the unrighteousness of a sin nature that you inherited from your father, the devil. But now you are an heir inheriting righteousness. So then, returning back to these words of our passage here in First Peter, we're being told that as sons of God and fully able to call God the Father our Father, then we should in all the matters of our daily life begin to act and behave as sons of our Father, the Almighty God. And further then, that in most all matters, listen, in most all matters, being His sons, this is serious business. Do you count everything that will take place from this moment forward as being serious business? Business that we need to be about and with, with, great, with great care. We studied about that in Sunday school. All the things that you'll do in secret today, all those miscellaneous things that took place or will take place in your life that no one else knows about. That's all serious business with God between you and Him. And you and I need to be about it. He says here in verse 17, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time that you stay on earth. So a question, why would it be so important that we conduct ourselves in fear during the time of our stay on this earth? Why should we fear? After all, does God not love us with an everlasting love? He tells us that in the book of Jeremiah. And are we not securely saved and assured of an eternity in heaven? That's spoken about in the book of John and in the book of James. We are now His sons and He can never unadopt us. He cannot unadopt us. Can we not, as Romans 6 asks, go ahead then and sin? so that grace might abound? Since all of our penalties, both past, present, and future, have been paid for in full, can we not go ahead and sin? Because then again, if we sin more, won't grace simply abound all the more and take care of all of our sinful behavior? The Scriptures tell us that. God does answer that question there in Romans 6 by saying, God forbid you should do that. But then, another answer is also true. Yes, we could continue to sin. You could continue to sin. If you have Christ as your Savior, you can continue to sin and not lose your salvation. Because yes, you are eternally saved. And God's grace will abound to our benefit. But here comes the warning. It's right here in this verse. Notice three words here in verse 17. If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, He doesn't stop and say, oh no, that's my son. Let me deal with these people over here. No, he says, because you are my son, I'm going to deal with you on this matter. He impartially judges according to each one's work. He says, then conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on this earth. Those three words, impartially judges and fear. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on the earth. Now, I don't pretend to know the whole meaning of these words, especially as they relate to you and me 
who truly are already saved eternally. But these are serious words of warning. Serious words of warning telling us that we had better be careful as we sojourn on this earth. That as you walk out this door, you're going to run into something that you did not count on. That's what happens when you are a sojourner. You're traveling through, often, a strange land. And that's going to happen with you later on today. But we had better be sure that our behavior is in keeping with the proper behavior of the Son of God. Your mind had better already be made up before you walk out this door. It's easy sitting here in the pews to obey God. But it's not so easy the moment you walk out that door. But God will call us to account. And that's what He's saying here. He will call us to account for our misbehavior. And because He loves us so very, very deeply as His sons, His daughters, He will reprove, He will rebuke, and He will discipline us as sons. Listen to these words. This from Proverbs 3, verse 11. My son... Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. It is because He loves us so much that He will reprove us and discipline us. Listen to these words. Hebrews 12, verse 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then listen, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So if you're not being disciplined, for the wrongful things that you do, then you are not a son of God. That's what these words are saying. And so he wants us to take stock and to understand and to re-examine and ask him to re-examine our souls. Verse 9 of Hebrews 12. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, God the Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That last verse, verse 11, is God's desired outcome for you and me as He disciplines us for the things that we are doing wrongly. Verse 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So then, back in chapter 1, we're told to be holy because God is holy. Why is God so set on you and me being holy and doing good things, doing holy things, having holy behavior? And it's as I just said a moment ago. It's because, first of all, He is holy. We've said this in in two or three of the messages so far. But we must be holy because He is holy. And if you and I are His sons and we ever want to be anywhere near Him, in His presence at all, even to come into His presence in prayer, then you and I must be holy. God cannot violate His own holiness just so that you and I can hang on to our unholiness. So you and I then must be holy because He is holy. 
But there's also other reasons that he spoke about here for us to be holy. As we read here in these words, Jesus, God's only begotten Son, suffered and shed His blood so that we could be washed clean and be holy. So we dare not, as Hebrews 6 warns, by continuing to sin, crucify the Son of God all over again. And we dare not do as Hebrews 10 warns, and that is trample underfoot the Son of God and profane the blood of the covenant by which we were sanctified. And thereby, listen to these words, strong words, and thereby by our continued sin, outrage the Spirit of grace. We think that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and we do. But folks, we do not want to outrage the Spirit of grace. That is exactly what takes place when you and I who have been saved and are are able to call God our Father, but yet we go ahead and we willfully sin. That's what he's warning about here. You and I need to be careful of our behavior as we sojourn on this earth. We are sons of God and we need always to take our relationship as a son really, really seriously. Those words in our passage again. If you or I address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, then conduct yourselves. I must conduct myself. You must conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So then, how do we, in the practical circumstances of our daily lives, go about being who God wants us to be and then doing what God wants us to do? Now, our common sense would tell us that we should just take a step back and take stock of the matters that are in front of us in these circumstances that take place with us each day. And then we should go over to our Scriptures and to find a fix, some form of fix for them. And may I say that there are an untold number of earnest, well-meaning ministers out there in the churches and television and, and in seminars that will provide all sorts of appropriate scriptural guidance that will seemingly be the answer to the fixes for all those problems that you and I have. And those folks really do help many people with their efforts. But may I strongly suggest that that approach to being holy and to doing holy things is most likely backwards. Most likely backwards. That approach would be similar to waiting until after you have committed a crime to find out if you're doing something wrong and then how you're going to go about trying to defend yourself. Foolishness. Foolishness, folks. God's more perfect method of leading us into the holiness that He has planned for us is that we would instead vest our time and our energies into truly coming to know Him, learning of Him, understanding what is what it means to actually love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Spending time with Him in prayer and in studying these Scriptures, not just to find a fix for something we've done wrong, but rather just to get to know the Lord our God intimately and lovingly. And especially we must humble ourselves and surrender ourselves over to Him. Let Him be our God and we simply be the sheep of His pasture. Folks, it's as simple as the relationship 
that we would have with our own earthly fathers, as Hebrews 12 explains to us. We spend our growing years knowing our Father's deep love for us, experiencing His provision and His watch care, seeing the testimonies of His mercy and grace as He takes care of us. If we will surrender ourselves to that kind of loving relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, then we will find, listen, then we will find that fewer and fewer of those problems that we would have otherwise experienced will even take place. May I say that again? If you and I will vest our time in getting to know and getting to love the Lord our God intimately, then as time goes by, fewer and fewer of those problems that we would have been experiencing otherwise will even take place. You'll not have to be dealing with, Lord, how do I get out of this mess? Or how do I deal with this problem now that's in my life? Many of those will have never taken place because you will have not set up the circumstance that precipitated those problems. As we come to truly know and love the Lord our God, we'll find that we'll begin to take on His nature and His character. And then we will, by our new nature then that we have from Him, be holy. And we'll do holy things. We really are sons of God. And we need to go ahead and get on about being His sons. Beginning each day, listen, beginning each day by crawling up in His lap and getting to know Him as our loving Father. Can you imagine yourself doing that? That's what you and I need to do. If He's our Father, I can crawl up in His lap and I can get a hold of His big hand and I can talk to Him like a loving Father. Those words again as we close. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, then conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.